in our series here on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to follow along in our scripture reading, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. Matthew 5, verses 4 through 8. Uh, And as you turn there, uh, I just want to take a moment and I want to thank everybody for praying for me and my family this week. I'm sure many of you heard by now that I was involved in an accident on Tuesday. It was just me in the vehicle, but myself and the other family, uh, we are safe. We were able to walk away from the accident just fine. uh, And we're very happy to be here and, and very thankful that you prayed for us this week. So thank you. So here in Matthew 5, verses uh, uh, 5 through 8, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So recapping a little bit of what we talked about last week, Uh, when it comes to these beatitudes, which, you know, we call them beatitudes. That's kind of an old word. Another way you can can call these is the blessings. These are the blessings that Jesus gives. And these are first uh, uh, principles or character traits that God develops in us to keep us uh, or to show that we are different or we are separate from the world. So these are character traits that God develops uh, and it distinguishes us as Christians from the rest of the world. And what's more is these are not things that we're supposed to do, but this is something that God does through us. So it's best when we look at these, when Jesus lists out, blessed are those that, uh, we got to make sure we don't turn this into a to-do list. Um, if you're anything like me, I, I like to organize things, although I'm not the best at it, but I like to organize things. And so oftentimes with something like this, I would have a tendency to make it a to-do list and to say, okay, today uh, have I, have I uh, sought after righteousness? Okay, check. Today was I pure in heart? Check. Today did I mourn? Oh boy, I didn't mourn yet today. I better go mourn and get that out of the way. That way God can comfort me. Well, that's not what this is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be a checklist that we go through, but it's character that God develops in us. And then when God develops that in us and gives us the strength to live out these principles, he blesses us with his joy. He blesses us with his blessings. And so as Jesus is giving uh, this list here, he's telling us this is what God wants to do in our life. And so the four uh, principles or character traits that we're talking about here today is gentleness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, and being pure in heart. So the first one here, gentleness. What does gentleness mean? Um, You know, I was looking at its definition in the scripture and how it's been used, and probably the best way to describe gentleness is what it's the opposite of. So what is gentleness? Well, it's not being arrogant. Being gentle means that you are able to be in a situation that maybe you feel calls for arrogance or calls for being louder, but you're able to, to remain still. Um, I'll give you an example of what gentleness is not from my own life. Uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate, and we would fight about the dumbest things you could imagine. 
It, it really, I, it, it was amazing what we would get into fights over. And one day, we got into a fight as to what the definition of a thunderstorm was. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the details because you may disagree with my definition and I want to remain gentle. Um, but in that moment, when we were fighting over the definition of a thunderstorm, it went from, well, I always thought a thunderstorm was this. And then he said, well, no, a thunderstorm is this. And I'd say, well, no, that's a lightning storm. And he'd say, well, lightning comes with thunder. Well, I realize that, but a thunderstorm, and do you see how it digresses? It doesn't matter. It, it didn't matter what the definition was. Except that at the end of it, I was not gentle. We were yelling at each other. like a, We were just yelling at each other to the point that some people came into our room and said, one of you needs to leave the room because we're trying to study here. That is an example of what gentleness is not. Now, when we talk about gentleness as Christians, we're talking about the ability to remain calm and the ability to, to share the gospel, the ability to have a relationship with others in a gentle way, in a way that is not arrogant, in a way that is not loud and boisterous. You know, sometimes, and, and I, think, I think humanity has always dealt with this, but we see it even more now that we have social media and we can watch videos. When people are losing a debate, what often happens? They end up doing name-calling. They end up yelling at each other. They end up uh, getting upset with one another. And as Christians, as we share the gospel, we're going to run into issues with other people that disagree with us. We need to make sure that we keep ourselves in check or allow God to keep us in check and remain gentle in those situations. Um, I cannot tell you the number of times I've been in a situation with a non-Christian where they're countering some of my points about Christianity, and I'll be honest, I, I was, was, still am, intellectually outmatched, but the key there is to keep gentleness, to know that even though, well, I, I'm not answering his questions like I think I should be, but I'm still going to show the love of Christ. I'm still going to show that even though I'm not being able to answer these questions how he thinks I do, uh, I don't need to yell. I don't need to get upset about this. This is for God to handle. So that is one example of gentleness, and we really see this example of gentleness in Jesus uh, when we go towards the end of the book of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus has his triumphal entry as he goes into Jerusalem to present himself as the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, what does he come in on? Well, usually a king would come in on this big horse, and oftentimes when a king presented himself to a city, he would actually, he would send people ahead of himself to, to prepare the way, and then he would come in with, with different groups of armies ahead of him. So you would have a group of army men come in, prepare the roads, get people ready to receive the cane, and then you'd have a group of, of other soldiers that would come through, and they would shout, and they would proclaim, they might have instruments, and then finally at the end of it all, you would have the king coming in on his horse with a group of horses so that the city could see the majesty of the king that was coming in. And how does Jesus prefer to enter into Jerusalem? on a donkey. He, he goes in on a donkey. Now, I don't know how, how donkeys were 2,000 years ago, but the donkey I dealt with 15 years ago was the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. 
That thing would never stay still for me, and I had food. I was taking care of it, and it was stubborn towards me. And the farmer I was working for told me, you have to be extra gentle with a donkey because if you try to tell it where to go, it's not going to want to go there. You have to remain gentle with it so that it follows you where it needs to go. This is the kind of gentleness that Jesus demonstrated in his triumphal entry. He could have come in on a stallion. He could have uh, really gotten the city ready for his appearance, but instead... He came in gently. He came in on something that wasn't loud and boisterous and arrogant. Instead, he came in as somebody who knew he was the king and he didn't have to prove it to anybody. He spoke for himself. That's the kind of gentleness that God wants to develop in us. Now, when we are gentle, what is the joy or the blessing that God gives us? Well, Jesus says that when we're gentle, we receive or we inherit the earth. Now, here's the problem I think we run into when we read that, is, is we read it, and first of all, depending what part of the earth you go to, you may not want to inherit it, right? There are some parts of the earth, I, I've been to some parts, I, I don't deal well with the heat. I'll just get that out of the way. There's a reason I stayed in the Midwest, and when Pastor Mark invited me here and told me about all the snow, I thought, well, as long as it doesn't get too hot, I'll be just fine. So there's parts of the earth that, you know, if God said, ah, you inherit this part of the equator where it's the hottest in the world, I would say, I don't know if I really want that. What Jesus is really talking about here when he says, they shall inherit the earth, is he's talking about the future kingdom of God that comes down to the earth. So we see this in Revelation 21. When John is looking out and he sees the new heaven and the new earth, what he sees is the earth that God has redeemed for his original purpose. And the promise we have in living out a gentle life is we inherit that future kingdom. We inherit that earth that has been redeemed by God and has been brought back to its original goodness that God created it for. So what we get when we're gentle is that promise of the future creation. Moving on here, we've got the next one, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, this phrase has two parts. The, the first part is actually at the end of the phrase, and that is the word righteousness. So righteousness, you know, I've got to be honest, I was having a little trouble looking up the definition of righteousness because as you go through the Scripture, uh, the Scripture defines righteousness as righteousness. Well, that doesn't help me any. So if you start to look at the context that, that it's used in throughout Scripture, what you start to find is that righteousness is very simply doing the right thing in the eyes of God. So this word is often used in a sense of justice. This is often used in a sense of redemption or, or uh, making things new. But as, as, uh, as we live out this righteous life, very simply what it means is when God wants you to do the right thing, will you obey him? So if you look back in, in First and Second Kings of the Old Testament, we have this whole history of kings of Israel and kings of Judah, and what we find is that their goodness or their evilness is determined very simply by did they do things that were right in the eyes of the Lord? And if they didn't do things that were right in the eyes of the Lord, 
they were considered evil in the eyes of the Lord. But if they did things that were good in the eyes of the Lord, they were considered righteous. So Jesus, in this definition, is in some ways calling us to be righteous. But here's, here's the, the thing with this principle or this character trait. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. He says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you see the difference? In this character trait, Jesus isn't telling you to do what's right before the eyes of the Lord. He's telling you to have a heart that wants to do the right thing in the eyes of the Lord. He's very much speaking to the want, and and the words he uses are a hunger and a thirst. When you see the things of God, do you want to be a part of that? When you see the things of God, do you want to say yes to them? When God tells you what to do, do you want to do it? Do do you see the difference? Because you can do the things of God. You can obey him. But what Jesus is really driving at is, do you want to obey him? Do you want to be in that relationship with him? And this can be very hard. What differentiates us from the world in this respect is, you know, sometimes when you do the right thing in the eyes of God, a lot of people around you don't think you're doing the right thing at all. And that can be very disheartening and discouraging. Um, I was a part of a church uh, a few years ago, and the greater denomination was starting to move uh, towards allowing, and not just allowing, but approving of same-sex marriage. That was difficult for me to be a part of because I stood against that. I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so as I sat there doing what's right in the eyes of God, I was surrounded by people that thought I was doing the opposite. They thought I was wrong and I was doing the wrong thing. So that can sometimes, or many times, be difficult to live out. And so Jesus is driving us towards that want. Well, do you want to do the right thing as opposed to the rest of the world that wants to follow their own ways? Do you want to follow the ways of God? And here's the blessing that comes along with it. If you want to do the things of God, Jesus says you will be satisfied. There's an interesting choice of words. He says, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be satisfied. And obviously what he means by that is you will be satisfied with righteousness. And as we talk about with these principles, again, these aren't things that we're supposed to do. These are things that God does through us. So in our Christian life, what's really happening is God is developing in us that want to be righteous in his sight, and then when he develops that want in our life to be righteous, he then provides us with the ability to be righteous. That is the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life so that you find yourself in those situations when God calls you to do something, not only do you want to do it, your yes to it is much easier to come by. This is the life that God has called us into, the want and the thirst after righteousness. But, you know, I know if you grew up in church at all and you grew up in a Christian family, one of the difficult things you can run into is, is, and, and this is something that 
is sort of true in my life. You grow up in a Christian family, you grow up in a church, you don't know anything else outside of that life. Sometimes you sit back and you kind of wonder, did I ever want the want to be righteous? You know, there's some people that grew up in church and you ask them, well, you know, when did you become a Christian? (laughs) And a lot of times it's, I don't know. I just, one day I just knew I was a Christian. I don't remember making the decision. I guess I've always made the decision. And so for some Christians, they start to battle, do I want the want to be righteous? I ran into this a few years ago with some kids at a youth camp. We were praying at the altar and it was a wonderful moment But there were a few kids that were asking, you know, uh, can you pray for me? I want to be saved. And so we would pray with them. But then we got to one kid, and I knew he grew up in a good Christian home. But he said, all I know is Christianity. I want to make sure that I want the want to be a Christian. So it's okay to sometimes take a step back and say, you know, God, I want to be a Christian, but more than that, I want to know that you've called me. I want to know that, that in my heart I really want this. Are you tracking? Does that make sense? Sometimes, sometimes in your Christian life, what you're really looking for is not a want to be righteous. You're wanting the want to be righteous. And it even starts there, that God will develop the, that in your heart. The next one here, uh, be merciful. So, so what is mercy? We've covered this, this word before and have gone over the definition. Basically, mercy is when you deserve something and you don't get it, namely a punishment. Namely, mercy is when you're receiving something that you deserve, maybe as a consequence of sin, maybe as a consequence of some kind of action that you've committed, and now that pain, that problem has been alleviated. It's been taken away from you. So an example that we see is oftentimes in Jesus' ministry, we see it about four or five times in the book of Matthew, uh, but the one that I'm specifically thinking of comes from Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse 29. The disciples are going through town, And there's two men that are blind that hear that Jesus is coming by. And so they start to shout because they don't know where he's at. They start to shout his name, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd next to them are kind of annoyed. And so they say, hey, be quiet here. We're, you know, let's just wait for Jesus to come. And they decide, no, I've been blind my whole life. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the call that they're making out to Jesus is they, they have blindness for whatever reason. And oftentimes in, in that time, there was the suggestion that if you were born with a disability like blindness, that maybe you deserved it for a sin that you've committed or a sin that your parents have committed. And so in their minds, they may be thinking, I deserve to be blind, which is why they're crying out for mercy. In their, in their minds, they may be thinking, we deserve to be blind, but we don't want to be blind anymore. And so they shout out, Jesus, would you have mercy on us? Would you alleviate us from this blindness? And in that passage, it says that, that Jesus asks them, what, what are you seeking? And they say, we want our eyes to be opened. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them, and so he healed them, and they opened their eyes. 
So this is the kind of mercy that we're talking about. And when Jesus calls us to be mercy in the same way, what he's calling for is, do we look for ways to alleviate the pain that other people have? Are we looking for ways that we can alleviate problems in other people's lives, even if they deserve it? Now, I'll say how this makes us different than the world is the world has a keen sense of justice when it comes to the self. If you don't believe me, go to Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and cut somebody in line. Now, I'm not actually telling you to do that. Please, spare yourself. But if you did that, I guarantee everyone in that line would have a keen sense of justice to make sure that you never cut that line again and to get in the back of the line. We are different from the world because oftentimes the world is looking for ways that they can seek restitution and they can seek justice for crimes committed against them. Whereas Christians, what we often look for and what God is developing in us is not so much to seek restitution or to seek for somebody to pay us back, but if anything ever happens to us, what we seek is forgiveness. What we look for is providing mercy and saying, you don't owe me anything, you're forgiven. So this is what God develops in us. And Jesus makes this point in a parable. I believe it's, uh, excuse me for a moment, Matthew chapter 18. He talks about a parable uh, and how it has to do with forgiveness. And the parable simply is that a man owes another man a lot of money. And when he goes to that man, he bows before him. And he asks for his debts to be forgiven, that he's not able to pay it. And, and the man is so moved that he forgives this other man of his debts. Well, then that man goes out and he finds somebody that owes him money for the debts paid. And he demands that he gives him that money. And if he doesn't, he's going to be thrown into prison. When the other man hears of this, he becomes furious and he calls that man before him and says, I offered, I gave you forgiveness. I did more than just offer you. I had mercy on you. I forgave your debts and then you went and didn't forgive anyone else's debts against you. And so the king throws him in jail or the, the man that he owed money to throws him in jail. You see, this is the life that we live in mercy. We are called to have mercy and forgive other people, and the blessing we receive in return is that we have received mercy. We have received forgiveness from God. We were just talking in our, our youth ministry this morning, and, and uh, we're going through the book of 1 Timothy, and immediately, you know, Paul jumps right at... <laughs> at Timothy and is talking about the sin that's remaining in the church. And, and I asked the question, I said, do you guys think there's still sin in the church today? <laughs> and they all laughed and I said, it's okay, you don't point to any sin that's in our church. <laughs> We're not going to point fingers here. But the question came up, is there still sin that remains not just in the world but within our church? And the answer is yes. But then the question also came up, does God still forgive us of that sin? Absolutely. God forgives us of any sin that we commit as long as we go to him for that forgiveness. 
And so when Jesus calls on us to have mercy, what he's calling on us to do is have mercy on other people in the same way that he has had mercy on us. And in return, when we have mercy on others, we receive the mercy that God gives. He forgives our sins, and then what we deserve in punishment is no longer there. We're forgiven. So be merciful as God is merciful. And then finally, the last character trait that we have here today is uh, blessed are the pure in heart. I got to be honest, this one was hard. This one, I, you know, I went through and the definition of righteousness is righteousness. That, that was a little tricky. But then as I go through and I read this, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, it's a much more definitive statement. It's, it's sort of what righteousness is, but it really goes quite literally to the heart of the matter, the inner being of who we are. So when Jesus uses this phrase heart, of course, what he's talking about is what we would call the inner man or the inner self, who we are in our deepest. And God says, blessed are those that are pure in heart. Well, this word purity is oftentimes used uh, when it comes to ceremonial washings in the Old Testament. It comes uh, in definitions when we talk about um, uh, fixing things, that they're pure or they're cleaned or there's there's no problem left in them. Uh, And then also, of course, the purity that we talk about in Scripture is the purity of cleanliness of heart. And so when Jesus says purity of heart, he's saying, is our heart clean of sin? Is our heart clean of any unrighteousness? So now we're not so much talking about the doing of righteousness, we're actually talking about the inner intentions of the heart. What do we really want from God? What do we really want in our life? And this purity is talked about by Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse, uh, well, Matthew chapter 15, one of the points he makes to the Pharisees is that, is that you can live an outward righteous life all you want, but the reality is, he says, what comes out of the mouth originates in the heart. So if our heart is impure, if our heart is still full of sin, what will come out of our mouths and what will come out of our actions ultimately is sin is ultimately sinful actions. And so when Jesus calls on us to be pure in heart, he's calling on us to no longer have sin reign in the heart and to have the heart cleansed of sin. Well, how does this occur? Well, it occurs by a process called sanctification, which is cleaning. And this happens the day that you are forgiven of your sins. When you go to God for mercy, when you go to God for the forgiveness of sins, what he offers on top of the forgiveness is also a cleanliness of heart. You and I have been called to be cleansed by God and to live a new life in this world. And the promise that we have that when God cleanses our heart and we become pure in heart is we can see God. Now this is a bold statement that Jesus makes in this passage because for the longest time it's been said up to this point that no one can see God. Uh, When you go back to Exodus chapter 33, Moses is on the the Mount of Sinai and, and he asks God, God, can I see your glory? Can I see you face to face? And God says, no, 
You have too much sin. If you saw me face to face, you would die. And I don't want you to die. And so he offers, okay, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll walk by, and you can see a portion of me. And when you see a portion of me, you'll see what I mean by if you saw my glory, you would die. The, the chasm, you could say, or, or, or the, the difference between God's righteousness and our sinfulness is so great. And yet what Jesus points out here is that when we have our hearts cleansed, when we have our hearts purified, we're brought into that relationship with God where we can see him face to face. Now, at this point, we have not saw him face to face. But when his kingdom comes, if you look in Revelation 21 and 22, when his kingdom comes, it says, there will no longer be any need for light, for God himself will provide the light for the city that we live in. What's the point there? The point is, God is preparing us for that day when he brings his kingdom to earth and we are able to see him face to face. These are the principles and the character traits that Jesus calls us into. He calls us into gentleness. He calls us into wanting righteousness. He calls us into being merciful to one another. And he calls us to have a pure heart. But the wonderful thing about this all is he doesn't just call us towards it or into it. He provides it for us. And when he provides it for us, he also provides us with that joy that can only be found in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for working this out in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you so much, Father, uh, for calling us into this relationship with your Son and being able to have a gentle heart, being able to want righteousness, being able to be pure in heart, being able to be merciful because you have been all of this to us. And Lord, we pray for those promises to be fulfilled in our life. We pray for the promises of righteousness, the promises of seeing you, the promises of inheriting this earth, the promise of you being merciful to us. So Lord, as we leave this place today, we pray that you would go before us and Lord, cause in us the ability to live out these traits in the world so that they can see you one day face to face.